people who are great engineers are not going to always be great UX designers or great salespeople. Like there's, there's just so many different kinds of personalities and skills and backgrounds that are required. You're listening to Blossoming Technologist, a podcast for young professionals in tech, discovering skills, careers, and tips for being in the tech industry. I'm your host, Marissa, and today we're joined by Jennifer Robertson, a co-founder of Quasar Silicon Valley, which is a digital learning platform focused on technical skills. Jennifer is based out of Seattle, Washington, and has a mixed background with 10 plus years of experience in marketing, sales, business development, and education. In this episode, we dig into what it's really like to work in tech, from the benefits of tech jobs to deciding on a role and common misconceptions about the industry. We discuss how to accelerate your learning to get a tech job and how a gamified approach to learning can help. Without further ado, let's get started. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for being here. I'm really excited to have you on the show. And I want to get started with our first question, which is what first got you interested in the tech industry? Oh, okay. So this is an interesting question. I got pulled into the tech industry. I have to say, I was not someone who sort of set out to expressively work in in the tech world. I was uh, working for an education technology company just outside of DC, working in a marketing role. And I think like the company was sort of adopting more and more marketing technologies. We went through a phase of building a new website and, you know, it was a small company. And so it was kind of like all hands on deck. And so just through, I think, some of the new tools and things, I started just learning more and more about the like digital side, I guess, digital marketing, right? And really getting into what are the different tools, that sort of stuff. And so I think that was a big, like a huge step forward. It was a long step over a period of time. <laughs> it was still a, step, a big step forward. And then, you know, after that, I decided to do a, an, an MBA just because I really wanted to like learn more and I think get better at marketing. I just, it was something I really enjoy. And I got into UC Berkeley, um, which is in the center of the tech world. So I think just kind of naturally, you know, a lot of other classmates were in tech. A lot of the case studies we did were about tech companies. And then I ended up working for a nonprofit, which is a software engineering school. And so there's nothing like getting, you know, thrown into the tech world by being around software engineers all the time, because they are, you know, I think that especially, you know, the program that it was, is they're very hungry to kind of know, you know, leading technologies, you know, what do I need to be learning? Um, where is the world going? And so, you know, that just keep, keep sort of that in momentum going for the next few years. And here I am today. So it's been a up and down journey, a wild ride, if you would, but definitely wasn't something I pursued, but I'm very, very glad to be in it. That's kind of crazy. It kind of, it literally pursued you. <laughs> yes, but you know, I, th- I think that kind of journey is going to be more and more common for people because technology is taking over every industry. There's not really the, I mean, there is, but there isn't the tech industry. Tech is everywhere now. It's in every industry. Um, it just is a natural component. And so I think, you know, almost whatever industry you're working in, there will be a lot more people where tech pursues them just naturally because of what's going on and the changes that are happening and that sort of stuff. So I hope, you know, 
there's encouraging for somebody out there that you know they're they're not the only one who will have this happen to them. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I I'm a software engineer, um, but I'm working on something in the medical field, and so it's like even the medical field has so much technology involved in it, and you have to be able to bring that innovation and think about the different scenarios where tech is going to be helpful there. So I definitely agree. All these different industries are going to have so much in tech, like as the world evolves, more people are going to need those skills and need to understand software engineering, for example. Yes. Agreed. So kind of with that, I want to talk about like misconceptions that people have about the tech industry. So in your work, because you have this learning platform, what are common misconceptions that you've seen that people have about working in tech? I think we've come across a lot. One of the ones we see is that tech is for, well, techie people. You know, tech is not really for people who are necessarily creative. Like you have to be very good at math. You have to know a lot about computers and that's just who it's for. And so if that's not you, then I think a lot of people are asking the question, is this for me? And should I go into it? To be honest, I think by the time people get to our programs, they've kind of already passed that stage of thinking. But we see certainly a lot of applicants of people who are just inquire and, and want to know more about you know, how things work, they are asking themselves those kinds of questions. The second misconception, and this is an unfortunate one, but it's a realistic one, is that, you know, if you do some kind of like boot camp or training, then you'll be able to get into the tech industry and into a tech job. Realistically, when you look at the data, when you look at who gets into those jobs at Google out of boot camps or out of any tech company, it's not quite as straightforward as, you know, a lot of the marketing or materials or websites put forth. Realistically, companies ask for a very high level in terms of like technical competency, technical knowledge, technical skills, technical portfolio, technical interviewing, your soft skills, you know, how you present yourself. Like It's a lot. It's a high standard and it's normal for it to take time to get to that level. Like it's completely normal to say, you know, three months and you're going to get there and that's it, I think is just unrealistic. And I mean, even we've seen people who've done, you know, a computer science degree and they're still not at the level that companies are looking for in terms of like applied skills, having the portfolio, being able to do technical interviews, you know, being able to use all the industry tools. I think there's a sort of a lot of misconceptions around what it actually takes to get into the tech industry and whether boot camp is the right way to go or not. Those are probably the two biggest ones that we come across. For the one about boot camps, what do you suggest people do if they've maybe done a boot camp and are not quite at that level? What do they do then to then get to that level? Oh man, it's so tough, right? <laughs> I have thought about this so often is if I've done a boot camp, first of all, you probably worked your butt off because they tend to be quite intense. It can be quite stressful, I think, for some people as well. And then you finish and there's this rush, rush and push, push, push to get a job and to apply. And, you know, that in itself is, I mean, one, a full-time job, but two, like it can be quite emotional for people. Like you have to really put forth yourself over and over and over again. If you're putting in like 200 applications, 300, it's just exhausting. And so any answer I give will be prefaced by an understanding that just to get to the point of having done a boot camp and not getting employed is a lot. 
I think the big thing would be to say, okay, let's stop. Let's take a minute to look at what are the job descriptions actually asking for? Like, what are the jobs that I'm trying to get into? What are they looking for? What are they saying? What are the kinds of interview questions? And what do I actually have on my resume? Like, what have I actually done? And have I done it to the depth that these guys are looking for? And, you know, sometimes it takes thinking critically or kind of really analyzing when somebody says, you know, experience with, and then they list a language or whatever. What do they actually mean by experience with? Because they don't just mean like, okay, you know, you have two or three examples. They tend to mean like, you have significant experience with, and you can easily code in this language. You can do so efficiently. And I can see evidence of that in your technical portfolio. And when you do technical interviews, you're kind of like, well, if you wanted to say that, why didn't you just say that? <laughs> you know, but that's not how recruiting goes. And it's not how job descriptions work. And then that's totally, I think, normal in the industry. So I think the first thing would be just take a pause and say, okay, what are companies looking for? What do I have on my resume? Hopefully just doing that, you will find gaps. I think the other thing would be looking at what are the kinds of candidates who get hired, uh, if you can, and, you know, what are the characteristics that they have or is it that they got in? And then, uh, you know, other things would be looking at either how have your classmates or bootcamp cohort mates been successful? What are some of the other programs out there? What are they training? What are they doing? You know, what's their success rate? Even looking at, you know, what are some of the data around other bootcamps? If you look at the employment rates, a lot of them, they're not getting into the sort of higher figures until six to nine months after you finish a program. That's a long time. Bear in mind that the training was only for three months. I think taking a pause to stop and think about that. And it may be the reality that you need to do more training. You need to get more technical skills and that sort of stuff. In which case I'd say, okay, figure out how to do that. What's going to work for you? Well, there are different options. And how can you make it work in your life? You know, maybe you need a full-time job, maybe you need a part-time job. Like people still need to get by and live. Kind of figure that out as best you can. That makes sense. With your first misconception about like, I'm not techie enough to be in the tech industry. What do you think contributes to people having that misconception? Oh, TV shows, social <laughs> media, article. I mean, take your pick, you know, like people just go to town with it. And to, but why do they do that? Well, because to some extent there is truth in it. You know, it's like any stereotype there's going to be. So, I, you know, I think that's where it stems from. But I don't think it's something that should put people off or they should listen to it at all. You know, I think about like, where where's the world going? Like, what do you enjoy doing? You know, where realistically, where are the jobs? And really, I think question like, what are the skills that you have or the kind of cognitive activities that you like doing? So structured problem solving or math or like, working together in a team to be creative to come up with something thinking about the user experience maybe it's very artistic like you do really like visual digital design you know okay great there's all kinds of careers for those kinds of things but they're not really tied to sort of traditional academic degrees you know if you want to go into like sales there is not a bachelor's in sales, like nobody goes gets a bachelor's in becoming a salesperson, right? And yet there's an enormous number of jobs out there, especially for selling software. And, you know, so I think it's really saying like, what are the activities that I enjoy doing that I'm good at? And sort of where do those pop up in different kinds of jobs, you know, in the tech world? I think it's also like tech is such a new field that back then when it started, 
it was a lot of like the more nerdy people and very techie people, but it has evolved so much. Anyone is a technologist. There's no typical technologist these days, which I think is awesome. The industry has pulled in so many different kinds of people, hardware engineers, software engineers, you know, all sorts have built incredible products, but there's so much like now, at least around just those two roles that are needed. And we need different kinds of people, you know, people who are great engineers are not going to always be great UX designers or great salespeople. Like there's just so many different kinds of personalities and skills and backgrounds that are required. And so many people in different industries, right? So as you were saying, being in the medical industry and technology side, there are already doctors who are going on to the technology side. We've got people in our programs who are genetical biologists and they're you know, studying software engineering. And so it's just fascinating. Whatever you enjoy, whatever your background is, there are still so many opportunities in, you know, across tech industry. It's incredible. And the skills are just so relevant to any industry, like even learning things like agile development or how to manage a project, like you can apply that to any field. And I I find that cross like really interesting to look at, but I kind of want to jump into what are some of the benefits of working in tech? Because we're both in tech, we have experienced it, you're training people to be in tech. What are some of those benefits of actually being in the industry? Firstly, there are a lot of jobs and they're going to still be a lot of jobs, you know, 30, 40 years into the future. And so with that comes opportunities for growth, opportunities for learning, but also opportunities to quite simply just be employed. I don't want to overlook that fact. I think after that, there's opportunities to apply skills that you've learned in slightly different jobs. You know, you can relatively at least easily transition from something like product management into software engineering or maybe software engineering into like product management or solutions engineering or sales engineering like there's skills natural to I think what people generally do in tech industry that can be applied to different kinds of jobs in tech industry so it's kind of like where's the line between sales customer service customer experience marketing right there's sort of some fluidity within that so I do think that is a benefit for people they do tend to be higher salaries, fairly decent across the board, especially if you are in a like technical engineering kind of role, whether that's hardware, software or other, there is a high demand. There's going to continue to be a high demand. And so the salaries are there. And for some people that can be pretty life-changing and good. So it should be, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, like, yes, there's more remote work because of COVID and that sort of stuff. But depending on the role that you're in, sometimes you're not on your feet all day. You're not working in retail or in a service job. You know, again, depending on the role, maybe you're not having to deal with difficult customers that just exhaust you. You know, like I think people don't really talk about those kinds of benefits. But if you've ever worked in the service industry and as soon as you get to, you know, a job where things are just more mellow, it's great. <laughs> I, it just is. You know, I clearly speak from experience, but <laughs> it just... <laughs> Yeah, it is a it's a real benefit, that one. Yeah, definitely very different from the service industry. <laughs> yes. 
Okay. So let's say someone is convinced they need to join the tech industry. They know the benefits, they know their misconceptions. How do you even decide what path you want to take in tech since there are just so many different paths to take? A few things I'd be looking at is, you know, what are the, again, what are the things that you enjoy? What are you good at? What do you want to do? So things like if you really enjoy data, like working with data, Excel, Microsoft Excel, working with optimizations, like just getting better and better, making something slightly better, slightly better, slightly better, like imp- improvements. You're good at paying attention to detail. You like it. You like it when things are like structured and in order. And to some extent, you like solving problems and working on a team, but you don't like Mr. and Mrs. Collaboration all the time. I'd be like, okay, great. That's probably leaning more towards like data science or machine learning. If you're somewhere where you're like, you know, creativity is a really something that I really value. I really like doing it. I don't really want to have my head in masses amounts of data and working with a lot of maths and algorithms. I really like the sort of aesthetic side of things, but I want to work on the digital. I'd be like, okay, great. That you're looking at more sort of front-end web development, UX, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Maybe you really like working with people. You really like helping solve their problems and you don't mind being on the phone. In that case, probably actually a great candidate for tech support. In the industry, there's just there's so many jobs and different kinds of roles available, I think it's really like, what do you like? What are you good at? And then kind of exploring where those options are. Then it's a question of like, okay, what what are the people asking for in those job descriptions? Go through, look at them and saying, okay, if this is where I need to end up, like I need to end up with a CV or sorry, a resume where I'm matching what the job descriptions are asking for. And I'd say, so start there and then work backwards and say, okay, what are the training programs out there that are going to get me to that place? And I think then you have to kind of do an evaluation of like what's going to work in terms of time, flexibility, budget, duration, learning style, right? I think that people can kind of figure things out from there. So what's, what's going to work best for them? That's super helpful. There's just so many different paths and that's what this podcast is about, kind of trying to expose people to different jobs in tech. And so it's cool to hear how you can think about like what you're good at, what you like and form that into which path to take. And I I feel like there's a path for everyone in tech. Like I feel like it's a very accessible industry as long as you like find the right resources and try to go for it. Yes and no. Yeah, you know, I say yes, it is accessible, and also, I feel like, no, it's not. We've had a lot of students who've tried different pathways or tried to kind of knock down doors and just they found it difficult. Like there is still a high entry level for a lot of tech jobs, especially in like engineering, data science, you know, full stack development. Like the entry bar is high. And so to some extent, that is what makes them inaccessible. But at the same time, like I understand that companies this is the talent they want that they need. And so they say, okay, this is who we're looking for. And there are training programs out there that get you up to the level that companies are looking for. And there are also programs that don't. And, you know, I think there's also an element where it's a numbers game, especially in the entry-level jobs, right? There's a lot of entry-level jobs. There's a lot of applicants. There's a lot of recruiters. And it's kind of like going to Vegas. There's some games where you're better off playing than others in terms of your odds of winning. But if you never play any games you've got no shot at winning and so you know there's an element of not taking things 
personally and just saying like, hey, you know what, realistically, the more job applications I put in for the like kind of jobs that really align well with me, based on numbers, there's a higher chance of me getting technical interviews, there's a higher chance of me getting a job. It's a gamble. <laughs> it should be a structured gamble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like people should think about prioritizing like which jobs they think to go for like that kind of thing when you say structured gamble yes almost put yourself in the recruiter side you know if you were recruiting for a, a software engineer or let's say for a machine learning and they had no projects on the portfolio or no languages that really apply to that you'd be like well no um, and so I think almost by thinking like a recruiter you can help to prioritize what jobs you're going to have the best shot with. That's a really good advice. We had an episode in last season with a recruiter and she talked about specifically like what she looks for. So that's a good episode to listen to and find out like, what are they looking for? Because I feel like a lot of people are scared of recruiters and like, don't have that interaction of like, what are you actually looking for? So that's a good resource for people to check out. And then I want to jump in a little bit into your company, Quasar. Because you are the expert on it, I am not. Um, I'd love if you could talk about what is Quasar and what was the mission behind starting it. So at Quasar, we train people for jobs in the digital economy using like completely skills-based training. So when we say skills, I think the best analogy that we have is like learning a sport or musical instrument or carpentry. If you're a sports player, you have to do drills, you have to do exercises, your coach will give you feedback, you have to do, I mean, hours and hours of practice, if you, certainly if you want to get to, you know, like college sports or NBA or you know, Major League Baseball. And there's specific skills and competencies that you need to do, different combinations, and basically the better you get, the more complex your training will become and sort of the level that you perform to will just get higher and higher. The same thing applies to, you know, technical skills. So software engineering, full stack development, data science, data engineering, machine learning, right? You need to learn it by doing it. Being able to do structured problem solving to take a project description and turn it into a set of technical requirements and an actual code base, you know, being able to uh, make decisions around design, software architecture, how to write code efficiently and at high quality and to a norm how to do peer code reviews, like all of these are actual skills. And learning them takes practice, takes time, takes repetition, takes feedback, takes practicing game-like or job-like situations. And so that's the approach that we take at Quasar. It's very, very different from sort of traditional learning or, you know, university-style programs. There's no lectures, there's no courses, there's no professors. It's all like hands-on learning. There's various articles from McKinsey on how like this is what it means to do upskilling. Any kind of skills-based learning, it needs to be deeply rooted in hands-on doing, practice, repetition. So that's what we do at Quasar. And why we started the company was partly we see a need for like 21st century learning for the 21st century economy. So, you know, the sort of knowledge transmission is great, but it was designed in the 19th century when the internet didn't exist and knowledge was very valuable and also very rare. Like if you wanted to know something, there's no Google. You couldn't just open the internet and be like, let me find something. Knowledge was what was important. And so the system was designed to transfer knowledge and pass it on. But 
you know, the world's very different today and knowledge is highly accessible. So what is important is no longer that knowledge in the same way as it was before. Uh, so we said, okay, things need to be designed for the 21st century and for 21st century jobs, which for us is a heavy focus on the tech side of things. So software engineering, machine learning, AI, and we just believe fundamentally that there are millions of people that need training, right? Like you look at across the world, it, it's not, you know, a couple hundred. It's there are millions who need to get skilled into digital jobs. So we kind of put the two together and there you go, Quasar was born. That's so cool. Like doing kind of like a gamified approach to learning. Have you seen that helping your students learn better than maybe traditional ways of learning? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, there's no question about that. So there's actually a huge amount behind what you gamify, how you gamify it. It is very, very important. And the dynamics of it, the structure of it, it's all about learner motivation. And, you know, I think to some extent today, we see things that are over gamified. That doesn't help. That doesn't work. And it doesn't serve for motivation. It's really, really important to think about how you gamify something, what it is, what you're trying to motivate and also what you're trying to discourage. But overall, yes, it does have a pretty good effect on like how learners learn, how they go through the program, what keeps them going. I can tell that you're so passionate about the way people learn. And I find that so cool thinking about that as like a challenge that you've kind of faced, figuring out how exactly to get people to learn through your programs. So then what are the different programs that Quasar provides? At Quasar, we have five different programs, software engineering, data science, full stack development, AI machine learning, and then DevOps and cloud engineering. Um, and then we actually have another one with a partner called Clarice, which uses the FileMaker platform. So that's for app development. Awesome. So someone enrolls in one of these programs. How does Quasar allow them to accelerate their experience from maybe very minimal experience in the tech industry into eventually getting a job in tech? So uh, we generally talk about four major components. So the first is breadth and depth of technical skill. The way our program is set up is that you are given like exercises, challenges, and projects in a very specific order where they start small and simple, and then they start becoming more and more complex and larger. You know, you don't just start off with a very difficult project. The idea is, is that we build you up to just higher competency and therefore more difficult projects. We also make you do a lot of fundamentals. So things like data structures and algorithms across the board are like just vital. You need to understand how a computer works, how an operating system works, like how it fundamentally treats data, different kinds of data. And a lot of that is useful in technical interviews. Depending on what program you're in, you essentially specialize. So your portfolio, what you study, the languages, the projects that you do are all reflective of what you'd actually do in, in industry on the job. That's the first thing. The second thing is software development experience. So because it's all project-based learning, so you are given a project and you have to essentially deliver it kind of like you would on a job, you experience what the software development lifecycle is like. And this is something that employers are really looking for. When they say, you know, oh, we want someone with one to two years of experience, it means we want someone with one to two years of experience in actually developing software so that they know the pitfalls to avoid, the things that are sort of standard to every project, how the time dynamics work, how team dynamics work. That's what they're looking for. That's what you get at Quasar. Well, one of the four things. Third thing is technical interview preparation. So we make you do anywhere from, I'd say, 
20 to 40 technical interviews as role plays. You will be the interviewee and you will be the interviewer. And you're giving questions of increasing difficulty that you have to solve in a, it's like a 30 to 40 minute window. You just got to practice it. It's like swimming. If you want to learn to swim, you don't watch a YouTube video, you know, and boom, you're done. You don't do individual exercises with like one arm on how to swim. You have to get in. You have to do the whole thing. You have to really jump in there. So the first thing we have is technical portfolio. So technical portfolio is something that will be on your resume. And the big thing is it's evidence and proof and a message to the recruiters that you are capable of delivering these kinds of projects and therefore performing on the job. From their eyes, it's really about de-risking you as a candidate because you're you're showing them, hey, look, this is what I can do. And ideally, that's going to align to the job, the industry, like the tech stack, you know, what they're looking for. Having that and building that technical portfolio is really important. It needs to be like wide enough that you show you're capable of different things, but also specific enough that there are projects that apply to the industry you want to go into. So example B, if you want to be a software engineer in the autonomous vehicle industry, you should have a project on your portfolio that is related to autonomous vehicles. It's like a big check mark for the recruiters. So we make you do that. You also need to be able to show what you're capable of in terms of tools, technologies. Like again, it's about checking those boxes. Like, yes, you know, I've used Python, Hadoop, all the things that we're looking for, PyTorch, you know, Jupyter. When you're Putting those keywords into your technical portfolio, you're essentially checking off the boxes for the recruiter is a good thing. Your code also needs to be presentable. Like you need to be able to give it to the recruiter and they're like, oh, this has been written to a norm. It's well-structured. It's going to pass a peer code viewer already has. That's a lot of work, but it's kind of the fourth element that we have for our programs. You mentioning all this stuff that like recruiters are looking for. I'm just curious, how did you figure out all this stuff? Is this from like talking to recruiters or seeing your students trying to get jobs, stuff like that? Oh, yeah. So certainly talking to recruiters, looking at job descriptions. Job descriptions are great. But basically, companies tell you exactly what they're looking for. Like it's kind of like, here's my recipe. And they give you a lot of information. I think just by doing the, those two combined, you get, a, you get a pretty good insight. The other thing is we have also posted jobs. And so we see, you know, it's like 200 people apply for one job and you just go through, we don't take every single resume. And when you're on that recruiting side, you're actually the one doing recruiting. Like there are patterns that you see immediately in resumes and how like very quickly somebody is discounted for X, Y, Z reasons. You know, I think it's also that just being in that experience as well. You see what's needed, what's not, and how to really make a better candidate. Absolutely. Okay, so I have a few final questions just to wrap up the interview. What is one skill that you're currently working on, whether it's at your job or in your personal life? The big one right now asking is like how to be a better manager. And this is from somebody who's done an MBA. Apparently, I'm meant to be good at this, but it's actually an enormous amount of soft skills involved in managing people. And, you know, to be honest, I think all of the top 10 MBA programs don't really, really, really give you the experience that you need to learn by doing and develop top level skills so that you are really well equipped to do that in industry. It's something that takes time and it takes repetition and practice. I mean, it's, I'm, I mean, it's like a sports again, and it takes different scenarios. It takes scenario based training. You know, I think it's something that 
it's not managing machines, it's managing people. And people are all different and fabulous, but you know, they, it, it's really a skill to be able to manage them well, bring out the best in them. I, you know, I think it's something I feel like I'm learning and failing at and growing and trying all over again. And uh, hopefully I'm not alone. <laughs> People are so unpredictable. It's so much easier to manage machines. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. Although machines do break in rather odd ways sometimes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so my final question is, where can listeners connect with you online? I'd say go to our website, quasar.io. There's certainly plenty of information on our website. You can also contact us directly. I in part monitor the form submissions that come in through the website for the contact form. So it's the best way to reach us. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's been really good talking with you and very excited to see this episode go live and have everyone learn too about the tech industry. Oh, great. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're interested in learning more about Quasar or connecting with Jennifer, check out the show notes for ways to connect. And make sure to follow Blossoming Technologist on Instagram and Twitter, or subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform to stay up to date on the show. Have a great day, and I'll see you next time where we'll continue blossoming together.